0: Hi everyone, I'm Andrew. I'm Marn. This is the Argonauts Podcast. Every two weeks we're going to go in and try and solve an old defunct ARG and Marn's going to tell me what I should have done instead.
1: Yep. Uh, This week we are going to talk about the Bioshock 2 ARG, which is called There's Something in the Sea.
2: A man has a choice. I chose the impossible. I built a city where the artist would not fear the censor. Where the great would not be constrained by the small. Where the scientist would not be bound by petty morality. I chose to build rapture. But my city was built by the weak. So I ask you, my friend, if your life were the prize, would you kill the innocent? Would you sacrifice your humanity? We all make choices, but in the end, our choices make us.
0: Before that, we got a lot of good questions. Uh, again, if you want to get a question into us, you can uh, usually send it to us on Twitter at Argonauts uh or you can email us, ArgonautsPodcast at gmail.com, uh, and we will read questions off at the start of the show. This ARG is about the sea, so let's get some ocean questions out of the way first. Yeah. Uh, Riley Hopkins at RevRibred, that's Rev like Reverend, Revred like Ryebread. I can do it too, Riley. They ask... Have either of you ever been on a cruise, or do you have any fun ocean stories? Uh, and second, what's your favorite ocean cryptid? Mm. Bonus points if they relate.
1: Oh. Hmm. I have been on a cruise. Um, one year for Thanksgiving, my family decided that we were going to go on a cruise rather than do, like, the big family dinner thing. Uh, cause I That's have, cool. Because I have cousins who are, like, cruise agents. Um And it was fun. I don't remember a lot about it. I wasn't that (laughs) little. I was like in high school, but I still don't remember a lot about it. They had an arcade, (laughs) maybe.
0: (laughs) I always wanted to do a cruise, but I haven't. I think we've been talking about doing one as a a honeymoon, but um, we're not sure if that's where we're going to end up yet. But I've never been. My fiance has, and she said that the cruise she went on Uh, She was the youngest person on the cruise by a good 30 years, so hopefully we'd have a younger, more fun cruise than that.
1: (laughs) I got really seasick. I do remember that.
0: Ooh, that's no good.
1: Yeah, which is how I found out that if you're really seasick, just eat a green apple and it, like, settles your stomach. Really? Like, specifically green apples.
0: I don't like green apples, but if it gets the job done... What is it about green apples that does that, do you know?
1: I have no idea. but <laughs> And I didn't believe that it worked until I was really sick and I ate one and I was like, oh, I feel better now.
0: <laughs> Good to know. I'll be sure to pack some when we uh, if we do go on a cruise. Um, what's your favorite ocean cryptid?
1: I don't know. I just looked up a list of them because I feel like there are more than I realize exist. <laughs> And it turns so out- like, I don't
0: really know of any are. ocean cryptids, unless you count, like, the concept of the kraken. Like, I just think that the idea of a giant octopus that lives somewhere beneath the ocean is- I'm very into that. Octopi are my favorite animal, so if there's a giant one that's out there, I'm very into it.
1: There is, like, the Loch Ness Monster. I don't know if that counts, because-
0: That's a lake.
1: That, yeah, it is a lake, but still a water cryptid. <laughs> i'll allow it is jaws a cryptid
0: (laughs) 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 yes jaws is a cryptid
1: all right my favorite ocean cryptid is jaws (laughs) (laughs) all right uh well
0: if you're trying to escape jaws uh morgan asks on twitter what's your favorite stroke to swim with
1: i don't that's what a what a specific question
0: It's a very specific question. Uh, I get a weirdly hot take for the answer. I like the side stroke.
1: Oh, I like the backstroke. As
0: I was gonna say I like keeping my face out of the water without having to go backwards, so the side stroke gets the job done.
1: Yeah, I like the backstroke.
0: Hell yeah! All right, well, backstroke away from Jaws. That <laughs> I would, I would watch that scene.
1: <laughs> Did you know? I found out recently that. In one of the sequels to Jaws, the plot is literally that jaws has is after the police chief's entire family for revenge.
0: I did know about that vaguely, but I've never seen the movies. I know there's another one where like they explain the mythology of jaws and that oh my it's God. like voodoo magic has brought jaws back to life, which is like I know that they named a trope on TV tropes after it, where it's like, when you answer something with something that just raises more questions than it answers. (laughs) Um, Or it's like, the fact that this is a voodoo magic infused shark is way weirder than just like, this shark family keeps killing people. Yeah.
1: Oh. So the
0: Jaws family is your favorite your favorite ocean cryptid. Yes. The Voodoo Jaws Shark family.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> Alright. Another question came in. This one came in from Danny. What's y'all's favorite video games?
1: So this is a weird question because I don't play a lot of video games.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: But probably my favorite video games are Paper Mario 2 and hell yes yes it's the best mario game
0: that is an incredible choice i wish i'd thought of that before i was thinking about this question
1: yeah those the
0: the paper mario rpgs are some of my favorite games of all time i have a gamecube now and i should try to track down a copy but i'm sure that they're like eight thousand dollars on ebay
1: oh i still have mine i started replaying it recently nice it's so good um so, Paper Mario: The Thousand Year Door and Kentucky Route Zero, which I feel like not a lot of people have played.
0: Kentucky Route Zero is so good, and I just want them to finish it.
1: Me too. I'm I'm willing to wait however long it takes for them to release the next act. Although, do you think... know there's
0: a hotline you can call to find out if it's done yet?
1: Really? I know they have like little mini games that they put out in between the the acts, but I didn't know there was a hotline. That's very funny. Oh, is it is, is it one eight five eight when krz? Because that's what came up. Uh, maybe. I think it's I think it's one eight five eight krz because that's the name of their Twitter account right now.
0: Oh, gotcha. Maybe okay then. Maybe if you could, there's the Kentucky Route Zero ARG. We have to solve the ARG in order to launch Part Five. <laughs> No, but sorry, I'll let you get your pitch in for Kentucky Rat Zero. I'm sorry oh, I interrupted
1: you. My my pitch is just that it's very good. It's like a <laughs> it's a weird, like, midwestern gothic story game, uh, where you play as a delivery man trying to deliver this package uh and he discovers this like magical realism highway underneath the real highway, and it's very good. It's just a good game, and you should play it.
0: The writing in the game is incredible. Yeah, it's like fantastic. The dialogue options and all of that. Um, no joke, and no uh, I'm not really embellishing that this much, but that game blew my mind and let me realize what you could do with games writing and with an interactive story that you're telling as you go. Oh, um, it's, it's so fucking good. It was, it, so there's parts where you get to like choose um you get to like choose stuff as you go along you know dialogue options but um it'll say something like you know you'll be playing as a character who is talking to someone about her husband and she says uh, you know were you ever married I don't remember the main character's name but like were you ever married and then like you'll have four options and it'll be like long it'll be like a paragraph for each and one is just like yeah I had a wife a while back Clara but she got sick and you know, died a couple of years ago. Since then, it's just been me and Rusty here about your dog. And the other option is just like, well, me and Laura used to be together, but we've been divorced for a while. I don't know what she's up to these days. And then a third answer is just like, nope, never married. And I was, it was the first time that I've ever seen one of those games that was like, here's your character's backstory in the palm of your hand. Pick one, and it will come back into play later, and people will reference it at a later point. But, um... You know, for something beyond just, like, a forward-moving choice that you make as a character, like, if you look at Mass Effect, where it's like, do I shoot this person, or do I help the other person? Like, instead of those choices, it was, like, a retroactive choice. I'd never seen that before, and it blew my mind sitting in a dorm room watching that play out. It's one of the coolest games I've ever played.
1: And also, it's, like, really pretty, even though the graphics are super simple.
0: Yeah, really pretty.
1: Like, it's not photorealistic, but the way that everything, like, the way that the colors are blocked out and the way that it's all framed, it's super good. Yeah. Go play Kentucky Route Zero. Those Road are our Zero. recommendations
0: for the week. Go play- Stop <laughs> listening to our podcast. Go play Kentucky Route Zero.
1: And also Paper Mario.
0: <laughs> also Paper Mario. Uh, my favorite video game, after those two very good choices, uh, mine is probably Pokemon Soul Silver and Heart Gold.
3: Oh, that's a good um, one.
0: They're the games that I've put the most amount of time into. Um, It's a remake of my favorite generation of Pokemon. My honest answer is just like whatever Pokemon game I'm currently playing at the time. But (laughs) if I had to nail one down, it would be those. Um, But I'm always a sucker for Pokemon games. I can't wait for Sword and Shield. Uh, This is an unintentional plug for chimps in the making. Um, But... Yeah, I'm always in the middle of a Pokemon game. That will always be my favorite video game. Just something with pocket monsters.
1: Yeah, Pokemon Sapphire, I think, was one of the first video games I ever played.
0: I think Red was the first one for me. I got it for Christmas when I was six years old. Uh, And I, I, I bawled because I opened the game, but I didn't have a Game Boy. Oh, no. And I didn't think that my parents knew that I needed a Game Boy to play it. Oh, so I just started bawling. Meanwhile, my parents are like frantically scrambling, (laughs) trying to find which other present wrapped up is the Game Boy. Oh, my God. Um, But I I just started losing it as a six year old. Ever since then, my parents learned that if there are two gifts that go together, just like tape them together and give them at the same time. Yeah, I think. But I opened it. I was excited. And then I just started crying because I couldn't play Oh, my
1: God. Yeah, Pokemon Sapphire and I think Yoshi's Island were the first games that I ever played, like, by myself on my own game system. Nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah, We got a Super Nintendo one year for, not for Christmas, we got it for, uh, a, a neighbor was getting a Nintendo 64, and his mom was like, great, now we can get rid of the old game system, <laughs> give it to Andrew down the street, and I was like, I don't think that's how game systems work, but we'll take it, um, and I've never been the same, because it was like, oh, now I can play Mario or Donkey Kong or whatever anytime that I want. So much for me being an athlete. Time to be a nerd.
1: Yeah, I had cousins who had a Nintendo 64, and whenever we would go to their house, I would just go and watch them play Banjo-Kazooie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was the same for us with our friend's house, except it was a very bad game called uh something it was like a rocket game you played as a little rocket robot boy i couldn't tell you it was one of those thousands of like yeah mario 64 knockoffs
1: yeah i also had a friend whose house i would go to and just like watch him play spyro and i'm really excited that spyro is coming out on the switch so i can finally play it on my (laughs) own
0: (laughs) sam's excited for that one i'll probably get it for her for something coming up sam don't listen to this
3: We
1: got other questions, right?
0: Yeah. You want to get into the hard one? Yeah. Uh, Becca sent us, so I know there's a poor view of corporate ARGs, but do y'all in particular think that there's a big quality difference between ARGs that are promoting or about something like Art of the Heist, Cypher Hunt, or this one, uh, versus ARGs that are just for fun? I think that theoretically there's not really a quality difference between promotional and AR- and non-promotional ARGs it's more about what the designer brings to the table in terms of puzzles and solving and stuff like that but at the same time there is a very real difference between a game that is someone is throwing together as fast as they can versus one that has like a budget and a marketing department behind it
1: yeah I was gonna say I think the difference lies largely in like how much money do you have to make this thing? And how many people mm-hmm. do you have to delegate work?
0: Yeah. Cause like we could make like, so you and I right now, we could make of an okay ARG that has two people working on it. Cause we can't like, we could probably reach out and find people to help us, but like we couldn't afford to pay someone to do any kind of real yeah. promotional work or you know, and I'd feel weird saying like, hey, can you do art for a game for me and I won't pay you? Yeah. Um. So like we could reach out, find people and put interesting puzzles and things together that we know of. But we don't have the resources at our disposal. We have however much comes in on Patreon. You know, you take out hosting and, you know, actual stuff that goes into making the podcast. And then we have like 20 bucks to make an ARG with that's going to be different from something like Audi's ad department that's looking to go for, like, you know that you're not selling many cars with that. What you're going for is, like, an award from an ad agency, Um, which they did win for Art of the Heist, for the record. I don't know that we ever talked about it, but they did. Audi did, like, win marketing awards for the Art of the Heist.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. That's super cool. I Yeah,
0: I'll include a link in the show notes, but...
1: I wonder if that's why like, marketing ARGs started to become more of a thing after that. I would be curious to look at the stats on something like I that. I could
0: believe it. Um, it's a... Yeah, I could believe seeing something like that would be interesting for bigger brands um, that aren't necessarily going for... Like, Audi doesn't need to reach 20 people with an ad campaign yeah what they need is an ad campaign that like will get them recognition and so they go for this big audacious thing that just kind of happens to be part of a growing genre of things in general the other side of that is that like the john dies at the end ones that we've done they kind of floundered due to budget problems because it wasn't really getting the outreach that they wanted and at different points doing that during that there was a like summary posts being made on Facebook and things like that, because they're trying to drive engagement through an ARG and that engagement is deep, but it's not wide.
1: Yeah. And I, I think also like, as in the case of any creative thing, like no matter how much of a budget you have, if you don't have a good concept, like it's not going to be a great story that you're telling. So I think in the reverse corporate ARGs can fall flat
0: yeah there's a there's a version of Art of the Heist that was way worse than it was because they tried to like shoehorn Audi commercials into everything they did or they just didn't have a good team working on it and they were more interested in trying to do a traditional commercial with the wrappings of an ARG rather than actually doing an ARG
1: yeah, I think, like, the farther away a corporate ARG is from what it's trying to promote, the more people are going to like it.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, uh, like the so the Cloverfield ARG, that one's about, like, a fake slushy company, right?
1: Yeah, it only kind of, like, very barely ties into the movies.
0: Right, whereas something that hems a little closer might run the risk of just being, like, a bad version of the thing it's trying to be. Yeah, um, or the thing it's trying to advertise, um, but yeah, I do agree with you that like production value doesn't mean anything if you, the thing that you're polishing isn't good as a core. But yeah. you know, when you have a lot of money to throw at something, you can definitely make something that looks a lot better than, um, you know, not to throw. I, I don't want to throw them under the bus, but if you look at um, people on like the ARG subreddit, there are tens of ARGs that try to start every day with someone saying hey look at this thing that I found and you can tell that there like isn't there's no real money or production value or anything into it it's just a person with an idea throwing something against the against a wall and at that point the idea is the most important part but you're not going to get the reach without the budget without a reason for Polygon to write about you and say hey what's this weird thing yeah um, they're not going to do that about a random thing in a ARG subreddit. They'll do it about something that's at the end of a Halo trailer.
1: Yeah, I think weirdly the best indie ARGs are the ones where the creator doesn't really try to promote it that much and like waits for other people to just kind of like stumble on it.
0: Yeah, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I frankly know a lot more. Um, I know a lot more corporate ARGs than I do indie ARGs. Um Indie ones, I know mostly because you've told me about them. But, yeah. Um, it's tough. Um, I don't necessarily think that one is better than the other, and I think that there are advantages that corporate ones have, but there's a chance that, like, you know, that money stifles creativity in the same way that having a corporate version of X will always be different from the indie version of X.
1: Yeah. And I think, like, indie ARGs, like, if they get big enough they're always going to have a very dedicated like niche audience
0: yeah like um i guess this one was more corporate but it felt like it started uh indie but the the john dies at the end ones um it was a small book release so the people that were invested in each of them there's a core group of like 5 to 10 people that are like there every time ready to go ready to get into more and that's the same with any ARG, where you find people that are like, great, I'm here from start to finish. I'm I'm in this thing. It's easier to feel cool doing something that is like angels on Tumblr or yeah. this weird fake juice company. It's way cooler to feel uh, to, to be invested in that than it is to be like, I'm here to ride this Audi commercial till the end. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I would even I would even call Frog Fractions an indie ARG because it was really only like three people doing it. And they had basically no budget, but they did have that very niche audience.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I feel like you do kind of get into the weeds a bit where it's like, what is an indie ARG versus? like you get into the whole like, oh, is it an indie movie or is it a Hollywood movie? And like the lines on those get blended closer and closer every day.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one.
0: That being said, I'm always biased against corporations just as a whole. So long live indie ARGs.
1: <laughs> yeah. Did we get a question in our email or am I making that up? Did we? I think we did. Yeah, we got a question from one of our patrons, Charlie.
0: Cool, cool, cool. Hey Charlie.
1: Hello. Um, also our Patreon just hit $60 a month, so I guess we gotta do that live stream. Oh, do we do that? Yeah.
0: I say oh no as if I'm sad that we're getting money. Thank you whoever that last donor was that just literally pushed us over as we're recording. I need to figure out how to live stream. Cut all those questions, Warren, we need to save it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Uh, I guess we're gonna do a live stream at some, uh, point in the near future. I guess so. And our next uh, goal for $80 a month, we will do interview episodes. Yes, some we of which really
0: are interested we have in trying to do this, but it's very hard to find the time to actually try to track people down and line up schedules and stuff like that. So yeah. uh, if we can hit that, we will happily start putting more of an effort into that. Speaking of putting an effort into fulfilling Patreon stuff, stuff is coming, I promise.
1: Oh yes, we are going to do the mail do the mail stuff.
0: That'll be going out very soon. Uh, and yeah. Ben Drowned is coming as soon as I get it done.
1: Yeah. I'm excited to listen to that. I haven't listened to it yet.
0: I am too. Neither have I. <laughs>
1: um. Oh, I, so... I,
0: I, I, I was... Sorry. I, I recorded, like, the first... I recorded stuff from my end. And then I realized that there's a lot more to the Day 5 stuff than there is... Than, yeah. than all the other ones. And I realized that, like... I should record that stuff too. It shouldn't just be like a text file in the podcast. So I need to actually find the time to go back and record all of that. But it's like a lot and stuff that I need to figure out production on. So
1: I'll get well, it figured out. Yeah. It'll, there's no time limit and it's going to be good when it's done.
0: Yeah. I just want to get it to people before I die.
1: <laughs> I think that you will. <laughs> Um. Go oh ahead. yeah, we're going to do our, we're going to do our last question.
0: Yeah, uh what's this Charlie. question from Charlie? Uh
1: when it comes to puzzles, do your preferences differ be- based on whether you are the one creating it or the one solving it?
0: I mean, I'll always be much happier to hit people with a big complicated cipher than to be hit with a big complicated cipher. Yeah. I don't necessarily know. I know that um as someone that hasn't run an ARG Uh, that doesn't have that kind of experience with it. Um, uh, The only place that I've ever tried to really give people puzzles is in uh, tabletop role-playing stuff. And I know that there I get get bored because puzzles feel very... I don't know. When you tell your players, like, here's the stuff for the puzzle, it kind of gets into a point where you sit back and let your players interact. And I don't know... That's something that I, as a DM, could look at the fixing for myself, but I don't know how. Um, this is all a rambling way of saying I've never really had to give anyone a puzzle before, so I don't really know.
1: Yeah, I think I feel like as someone who's done like mini ARGs before, I tend to have a preference for like codes and giving the players clues and like letting them put together the clues to unlock something. But as a player, I am more drawn to the parts of ARGs where you have to, like, talk to the characters and, like, get information and figure out who you need to trick out of information or, like, ask the right questions to. And that is what interests me the most.
0: That makes sense. And are those the kind of puzzles that as a player you want to get hit with?
1: Um. Yeah, personally, yes. Like, um, my girlfriend and I have been talking about ARGs recently and how, like, it's interesting for ARGs to have puzzles that you can solve through multiple avenues. Like, you can either go the route of, like, solving codes and, like, cracking passwords or go... Kind of like a a different route, and talk to the characters for information, and like barter with them for stuff. And I like that as a tactic.
0: <laughs> See, I I feel like I'm of. I feel like if someone is if someone has given us a code to crack, and we solve the puzzle by asking an NPC for help or bartering for that, I feel like I've cheated somehow.
1: Well. Yeah, I feel like if I were writing one, which, cough, cough, I might be, um, (laughs) it would be more like you ask the character for something and then you have to do a different task for that character. Hmm. This is also kind of, like, coming from the perspective of someone who ran a lot of HVZ games and Humans vs. Zombies is, like, basically a LARP. (laughs) (laughs) But I think doing that also taught me that like your players are going to come up with solutions that you didn't necessarily plan for
0: all right shall we get into there's something in the sea
1: yeah let's do it let's talk about bioshock
0: let's talk about bioshock Uh, should I hit us with like a five-minute recap of Bioshock in what I think matters for the realm of this game?
1: Yes, do it.
0: So, Bioshock 1 is a video game that came out on the Xbox uh, 360 and the PlayStation 3. I probably should have looked up the dates for that, but I didn't, so we're going to plow through. It is a game in which you play as a man who is flying on an airplane when, out of nowhere, the ship goes down. Uh, you crash land in the ocean and through... Um, turn of events you find yourself in the uh the underwater city of rapture um rapture was set up by a man named andrew ryan who is a uh objectivist guy who decides if the people up on the surface can't see my ideals let's build a place down uh, below the waves where scientists can do whatever they want And good people and powerful people can be whoever they are because they're just better than common people. You know, I've read Atlas Shrugged. I know how this works. (laughs) So he sets up a city down uh, beneath the ocean. And as luck would have it, who would have thought? uh, It goes to shit. Um, Part of that being that he gets into this uh, argument with a gangster named Fontaine, um, which turns into like turf war as they try to be, be the bestest man in the best man competition of objectivism, um, starts fighting, um, people develop superpowers because they get access to some genetic splicing thing. Um, and it, over the course of the game, you were trying to fight your way through this city called Rapture, which I don't know if I said it was called Rapture yet. Um, but it's very on the nose. Um, but you fight through the city of Rapture uh, trying to get your way to an escape and to find a guy and get out pretty typical uh, video game plot. If you're interested in playing uh, Bioshock, I don't want to spoil the ending and I don't necessarily think that it's related to the ARG. So I'm going to hold off for now. If that changes later, I'm happy to go back and re-edit in a part of this where I do give away the ending. Um, But the thing that I think that matters for this ARG is that along the way, as you're going through Rapture, you find these um, basically little girls um, that are uh, littered throughout the city of Rapture that are highly attuned to this um, force thing. I don't know if it's necessarily what you inject with yourself, but it's a, a thing called Atom, which is what allows you to use superpowers and get stronger with your like lightning shooting things or telekinesis and stuff like that. Um, As you play through the game, you find these little girls and you have the option uh, of either saving them and letting them go or killing them and getting stronger through them because it's a video game. And those are the only kind of binary choices they knew you could do back in the day. (laughs) Um, Our morality system is, do you kill children or do you save them? Uh, No in between. But along with them were a bunch of bodyguards that were called big daddies. Uh, These were giant um, guys that looked like they were in um, like old timey scuba gear with like the big diving bell helmets and stuff like that. Uh, And they had like a big drill or a big gun attached to their arm. Uh, There were these massive guys that could take a beating and basically serve to protect the little girls that you'd find throughout Rapture. Those were one of the most evocative things that came throughout the game. In fact, I think that's the box cover art for the game itself, too. Um, But I think that that's the most important thing you need to know from the game. Oh, um, this morality system played out where you could save the little girls or you could kill the little girls. And the ending of the game that you got depended on which one you did more. If you saved more of them, then you raised them as you escaped the city and became all of their dads. Um, and if you decided to kill them uh, and get more powerful, things got weird when you returned to the surface. But I think that's the most important part for the ARG is the existence of these little girls who are in this underwater city of Rapture and who have these bodyguards called Big Daddies.
1: Yeah. Um. I think. Yeah, I think that might be it. There, There is like a twist at the end, but I promise that. I promised in the Discord server that we wouldn't spoil it, so we can't spoil yeah, the twist.
0: Yeah, there were a couple people that were interested in playing, so I'm not I don't want to say it, but uh it's a good one. It, as far as video game
1: story yeah, twists go. It's it's a real good one. Did we say that the the little sisters, the girls were like experiments? We went
0: Um I I don't know that we necessarily knew that from Bioshock 1. It's been a while since I've played. Maybe that's in some of the audio logs that you find. Um, But yeah, they were experiments that were like, these little girls could handle Adam better than average people who've gone crazy due to the influence of Adam or something like that. I don't remember the specifics.
1: Yeah, me neither. It's been a little while. I've never actually played Bioshock, but I've definitely watched like a full Let's Play of it.
0: I've played one and I have played infinite which i think is three but they don't call it three yeah um i never played two but i know that the general plot of two is that well should i say it or
1: yeah okay. yeah. why not it's been out since 2009 right sure
0: yeah uh so the the basic plot of bioshock 2 is the or the the like twist on the formula i guess is that you play as a big daddy from what i can tell um and the entire game, you are helping to protect this little girl and lead her through something in Rapture as a big daddy, rather than as an invading force coming into Rapture. That's really all I know about Bioshock 2, except that it was not as good as the others. Maybe history's been kinder than reviewers were back then. I don't really know.
1: I know people historically think that Infinite is the worst one. I don't know that much about what people think about Bioshock 2.
0: <laughs> I I think that that take on Bioshock infinite is a very critic heavy take. Cause I know that there are a lot of people that like still think that infinite is a masterclass in video game storytelling.
1: Oh, interesting. I'm,
0: I'm not one of those people, but I know that there are a lot of people that played it when it first came out that thought, wow, this is incredible and complex and deals with a lot of tough topics very well. It's not a sentiment that I share. Um, but I know that a lot of people still hold, like, this was great when I played it when I was 14. It's probably still great now. And that's the T.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a first-person shooter where you play a subject, Delta, who is one of the prototype big daddies. um, And you're trying to reunite with the little sister that you were supposed to protect. You're a little daddy. Yeah. And then there's also a villain called a big sister who is, like, another kind of, like, weird mech suit. I did not
0: know there was a big sister.
1: Oh, yeah. That was, like, I feel like that was one of, like, the big marketing points of the game. That's one of the things that I actually remember um, is that there's a big sister and she's, like, um, more mobile than the big daddy. Okay. And is more kind of like humanoid and faster. The big
0: buff dude and the thin, sleek, dexterous female. Yeah, I get it. I've played a video game before. Yeah, you know. Oh, okay. Hey, neat. She's got a little cage on her back and some swords.
1: Um, and so basically this ARG was created to market Bioshock 2. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. So it's a weird one because it's another one of the ones that's Kind of like Ben Drowned, where it's like you're looking at a lot of stuff on a web page and there's not a lot to interact with.
0: Yeah, so I guess should I get into the trailhead that you sent me? Yeah, do it. Yeah, so the trailhead that you sent me, um, I assume was originally hosted on there's the com. is that right?
1: Yeah, so there, um, from what I was able to dig up, a bunch of flyers got put up in certain cities, uh which I sent you a picture of that says there's something in the sea. What is the strange red light that has been seen in coastal waters worldwide? Learn the facts, see the proof. And at the bottom, it says www.somethinginthesea.com.
0: Okay. And if you go to something in the sea, then you see what's now the rapture archives, right? Yes. Okay. So nowadays there's a website you can access called rapturearchives.org. That will take you and let you see a snapshot of the website every day as it updated um but day one you started off and you'd see a map um and there were some like some nautical noises in the background kind of a ocean sounds mixed with like uh radio frequencies that are kind of turned to static um and you see a map of the world uh and then near uh near great britain there's an x on the map with the date two twenty sixty seven, uh, and there are also some pictures that are pinned to the um, pinned to the map. Uh, the first one is what looks like a child's doll of a big daddy, basically. Um, and then you also find a news article about a local girl mysteriously vanishing, a um, local girl vanishes in a mysterious attack. Um, an article about a uh, a child disappearing um, and that the authorities are saying, well, we'll wait and see if there's any kind of ransom or something that comes for our kid and we'll work from there. In addition to that, there is an article or uh, there's a letter that's been given to someone that says, intrigued by your speculations, re connection between footprints and kidnapping." As you know, I make a habit of searching the beach each morning and have amassed a remarkable collection of rare shells, sea glass, and even doubloons. I enclose a photo over a remarkable item I discovered about a week before the attack. It appears to be a child's, tour, uh, a child's toy, but handmade and not of singular design. Might I suggest that this peculiar figurine uh, resembles particulars of the attacker, e.g. the head resembles a helmet, as described by the Klein family. The feet could be heavy boots. In other words, might this be an icon or fetish representing the attacker? Uh, eagerly awaiting your reply, Jay Lynch, March 18th, 1967. Uh, along with this person's handwritten notes to say, sound crazy. What kind of nut am I dealing with? And uh, keep waiting. Um, so at first it looks like this girl's gone missing. There was a, um, a person seen uh, that appeared to be wearing some kind of uh, helmet and this doll was found on the beach that looks like a big daddy. So it seems like, and, and it seems from this one and each day you can click back and see more of the website and you see more and more uh, girls going missing. They track all the disappearances along the map and more descriptions of this person, a tall figure that's, they say thin, which is odd to me. Cause I remember big daddies being like big, hulking, thick dudes. Um, but you know, a, a tall man wearing a, a helmet um, and then girls are going missing all around different countries and the thing that seems to be preceding it is um big red lights glowing in the ocean.
1: Yep. So this is also a weird one because it doesn't take place in real time mm-hmm. because the ARG itself took place, um, it started in March 2009 but the In-game events took place in 1967. Yes. Yes. In the Bioshock universe.
0: Yes, which is... I want to say this is before you go to Rapture in Bioshock 1. I want to say that. I don't know for sure.
1: That might be true. I have no idea.
0: (laughs) Never mind. Bioshock is set in
1: 1960.
0: So this is after the initial So I guess in the end of Bioshock you saved or killed all the little girls and they need more.
1: Yeah, so this yeah, so this was meant to be kind of like the lead up to the story of Bioshock 2, and I know that parts of the ARG and like characters from it are referenced in the like audio logs that you can find in Bioshock 2. Okay. Um basically the conceit of this game is that there were three phases, and then along with phase three, there was like a bonus kind of like mini ARG that went along with it. Um, and the website changed for each phase. Uh, phase one, it was the map, phase two, it was a whole office, and then phase three, it was a boat. I think,
0: yeah, this. This game was weird. I think this is the first time that we've talked about a game that existed like this, but it's um, it's almost entirely like a Flash game where you are clicking around an office, finding things or um, finding items like on a screen rather than being a more direct, you know, in-game, out-of-game, real-world connection like we've seen with other ARGs.
1: Yeah, it's it's very cool. And again, I think something that only a large company like this would have the budget to put together because it's basically like a point and click adventure game that updates every day with like more lore for you to discover
0: yeah um in playing through the opening bits for this one it reminded me of i did a little bit of one of the lost args i couldn't tell you which one um but it was a very similar you know flash interface setup that did tracking things a lot of tracking things on a map board um, and going through with that, so um, and this has been done in other ARGs before, but this is the first time that we've seen it on here at Argonauts. It's the first time we're encountering <laughs> it.
1: Yeah. So basically, uh, we are just going to go through each phase of the website, uh, run through the timeline of important events, and talk about them. Sounds good to me. So phase one was only ten days. This is also kind of weird because. The dates in game didn't match up with the real time dates, and I guess they just thought that people would get over it. Um, yeah,
0: it wasn't like it was. It, it yeah, it, it spans like years. Was the first phase? Yeah, as this thing like moved, I think it was years. It might have just been like throughout a year, but it was months at the very least. Yeah.
1: Um, and I got confused when I was trying to uh read oh through this God. earlier because it's it... sorry
0: the uh the rapture archives has music that auto plays and i did oh, not no. realize that
1: oh did you scare uh, yourself
0: <laughs> i did i keep doing that on this podcast also it's very funny because the uh the screens on that page um are just computer screens with the broken flash icon
1: now oh yeah Um, I should also say that the timelines I'm using for this are from the Bioshock fan wiki, which is, like, remarkably comprehensive and well-maintained. So thank you, people who run the Bioshock fan wiki, if you're out there.
0: Shout out to the Bioshock fan wiki.
1: Yeah. So, yes. So day one on the website, uh, which is when, I guess, like, the first round of people were kind of logging in, trying to see what it was. Uh, it was the newspaper article and the description of the the toy with the helmet. And um, this kidnapper who was very fast, uh, had a miner's helmet and had a red light on it.
0: It's a Scooby-Doo villain.
1: Yeah, you know. It's miner 49er.
0: There we go. I was thinking it was the creeper, but you're right. <laughs>
1: uh, day two, uh, this guy, Jay Lynch, who's first name is actually jeremiah um is reported uh that he has taken these photos of mysterious footprints uh left behind on the beach uh where this girl was taken which is actually in ireland um he thinks that um the person or people who left the footprints behind might not be human and he also reports seeing weird red lights on the beach uh there's you see a photograph and there's a letter from him to an unknown person um and at this point um the players don't actually know who is the person who owns this map and is like curating all of this information um but that becomes clear at the end of this phase i believe Mm -hmm. um day three they come back to the website it's there's more stuff uh there's been a sighting of a red underwater flare in england uh from a ship bound for new york the national guard comes back and says yeah it's probably a hoax uh, there's no wreckage discovered, there's no ships reporting missing, and they do a sonar test and they can't find anything, um, but they, but the person carrying this board does note that another girl uh, was kidnapped that night by an unknown assailant and says that whatever it is, it's taking our daughters.
0: Yeah, that was a creepy note where it's, it, it's written down, whatever it is, it's taking our children, and then the person's yeah. just like scribbled out children and just written in daughters in like handwritten
1: text yeah it's
0: a very good environmental storytelling <laughs>
1: um and this other girl uh goes missing from france it's noted and the person curing this board seems to think it's connected and that all of the girls are very physically similar to each other mm-hmm And I feel like probably the players at this point would have deduced why it was only little girls going missing having played (laughs) Bioshock 1. Probably. I want to believe that. I
0: I would hope that they would realize what's up.
1: Yeah. Um, Day four, uh, there's more... Newspaper clippings: um, A six-year-old girl is kidnapped. Uh, the kidnapper is described as a skinny monster with a single red glowing eye, uh, who left through the third story of a building after taking the girl.
0: Oh, I just put something together. Never mind. <laughs> I take back what I said about the. It's weird that they describe the big daddies as being really thin and agile. Uh-huh. I take it back. You've. You, I get it. Never um, mind.
1: <laughs> and then another uh, six-year-old girl goes missing in France, um, and the uh, person curing the board pins a note uh, that says she disappeared the same night as mysterious red lights in the harbor. There's a newspaper clipping about the mysterious red lights um, that were uh, reported to the authorities, but the French police thought that... The people who reported it were drunk. <laughs> Day five, there's more sightings of this mystery light. Um, the curator is getting frustrated that no one's noticing that there's a pattern. Um, there's an article about a boatman who saw a ghost submarine um, who sees this red light uh, and feel something rock his boat. Uh, the curator doesn't my believe. least favorite
0: kind of submarine.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the curator doesn't believe that it's a submarine. Um, there's another missing girl in Spain. Um, all of the missing girls are age six, by the way. The curator notes that. They're all the same age. Um, mm-hmm. And a red glow has been alarming fishermen in Spain. Um and was seen moving towards town, and there were boot prints spotted. Uh, Day six, the curator notes that the red glow is moving west. It was seen circling a cruise ship, and the Coast Guard sights it near the Virgin Islands and reports a fast-moving red light, Um, and the curator notes that it is heading towards the United States. Uh, A five-year-old girl is taken from Puerto Rico, and there is a letter to a man named Mark Meltzer from the Philadelphia Observer, dismissing uh, his in his investigation on the lights and the kidnappings, and they urge him to seek professional help. <laughs> and so people put together that the mysterious curator of this board is probably Mark. Checks out. Yeah. Um, day seven, the mystery light is reported in Florida. People think it's an enemy submarine. Um, a witness says that there were footprints that resemble military boots. Okay. Um, Mark wants to know if the pictures match the prints that were found in Ireland. Um, people think that it might be the Russians. Mark <laughs> disagrees. <laughs> It's a weird conjecture to make.
0: Well, we were... It's always the Russians back then. You've seen Stranger Things. It's always the Russians, Martin.
1: In 67, though?
0: Wasn't it? Did we give a shit about the Russians? Oh my god. In 1967. Google says... There's a 1965 Soviet economic reform. So maybe?
1: Okay, interesting. There's another article about three kidnappings that happened in the same week. Um, apparently, the police uh, from all three are working together um, because they've recognized the similarities of in these incidents. Uh, all female victims, aged five to seven... Uh, Mark believes that the kidnapper is getting bolder, um, and each of the parents reported a break-in after midnight. And as with the other kidnapping cases, um, the kidnapper came through a window, and the glass was cut with some kind of very precise glass cutter.
0: Okay, so it's a professional girl kidnapper.
1: Yes. There's another police report of another break-in and kidnapping. Uh, the mother of the victim says again that there was this like mystery red light. Uh, the kidnapper was very tall and athletic. Um, the police report places the kidnapper's height at six foot 10. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's which, a tall dude, which Mark seems alarmed by. Um, and apparently the mother glimpsed, Some kind of sharp tool or weapon resembling a sword on the kidnapper. Okay.
0: But not a giant drill.
1: But not a giant drill. Okay. Well, could a giant drill resemble a sword?
0: Yeah, but not the ones that the big daddies carry. They're like big old bulky
1: monsters. Mm. Uh, So, day eight, uh, we see the front page of a tabloid reporting that there is a sea creature stealing <laughs> children on like the New Jersey one. coast.
0: Yeah, I like that because the guy added a note that was just like, well, only kooks will believe this story now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it shows part of this, like, mystery figure that has been kidnapping children, which people matched to a picture of the big sister that was shown in Game Informer in the same month. There's also a letter to Mark from the House of Representatives, uh, which he has apparently sent his investigation to. (laughs) Dear Um, Congress,
0: I'm writing to you today to tell you about A strange man kidnapping children.
1: Um, They thank him for his information, but they basically are like, eh. Um, They think that the lights are UFOs that are under investigation by the Air Force, and Mark is offended by this assertion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But they say that he... Uh, the information that he sent them is going to be relayed to the Office of Naval Intelligence and the Air Force. Um, and they say, hey, if you know anything about the kidnapping, you should take it to the FBI. Okay. Yeah. Um, and Mark notes that the kidnapper is moving faster now that it has hit the United <laughs> States. Uh day nine, there are documents from the Office of Naval Intelligence uh, of released top secret information meant for Mark only, and it has a whole list of sightings of this mystery kidnapper and abductions that have happened, uh up to thirty-four incidents. Okay. Um, It is heavily redacted, um, but it mentions a possible connection to blank no-go zone at blank long-dismissed as conspiracy conspiracy theory, blank disappearance (laughs) of business magnate Andrew Ryan.
0: Okay, the man that started Rapture.
1: Yeah. Which I Um, guess is a
0: secret. I thought it was known, but I guess not.
1: Yeah, I think it was like invite only.
0: <laughs> right, but I thought that like people knew that Andrew Ryan had disappeared below the <laughs> below the shore to make a city.
1: Oh, I don't know. Um but it does indicate that um the area in like the sea around Rapture was a no-go zone either after it was created or like while it was being constructed. Okay. Um and the Office of Naval Intelligence thinks that there might be a connection, even though rapture is um, considered kind of a conspiracy theory at this point. Uh, okay. Um, and there's also a letter from uh, one of the mothers of the kidnapped children asking if Mark will help find her daughter. Okay. Uh, day 10 there is a letter from Mark to a naval intelligence officer named Roscoe Inman. Okay. Um, Mark thanks him for his patience with this uh, investigation, basically, and um, says that people of higher authority have kind of been blocking him from reporting um, on his findings. He gives Roscoe... uh, some information on this kidnapper like the sightings and the girls that have been going missing uh he predicts that the next place that's gonna be hit is new brunswick and he says he's gonna go there and keep watch for this kidnapper uh he thinks that it's a waste of time but he's very frustrated that no one is actually doing anything to catch this person
0: Sounds good. Seems like a good plan. Solid plan. Let's go get him.
1: And then there's also a note that indicates that he waited in New Brunswick uh, for three nights before taking pictures of red lights in the harbor. And then he also was able to take pictures of the big sister itself. Um, and he believes that the big sister may have seen and possibly followed him. Oh. So... Things are not looking good for our friend, Mark.
0: Things do not look good for our hero, Mark. <laughs> um, it should be noted, this is taking place, the first one of these maps was put up uh, in February of 67. And this is October 1st of 67. So yes, I said years before, it's months. Yeah. But it is, it's not a one-to-one, ten-day long story that's happening. This is updates that go on for months at this point.
1: Yeah, we're still in uh March 2009. Just yeah. for just for people who are getting the timeline all mixed <laughs> up in their heads. Um Yes,
0: we're in March 2009. They're in October 1967.
1: Yes. So this is where phase 1 ends. Um on the website with our friend Mark in some some amount of trouble.
0: Yeah. So I looked at the first day of, of of part two and I was very surprised because at this point, um, the game jumps out of the, it, this entire time we've been looking at a map. And then at this yes. point, we jump back and we see an office where that map is on the wall. Yeah. And so we start to see like the area that we've technically been this whole time, but mm-hmm. now we can see more of it. And there's like arrows, you can look around the apartment and see what's up.
1: Yeah, so it's very I found, cool.
0: I found a couple of neat things Yeah, uh, in exploring. Should I go into them?
1: Yeah, go for it.
0: Okay. Um. So one thing I found, it looks like we're it's it's an office of some kind. Um, and there are a couple things to note. One of them is that uh, I have a couple of x-rays yes. of what I think was like a broken leg and maybe a broken back or broken ribs. I couldn't quite make out what the... There was one that showed like rib cage and like chestal area. Um so I assume that our boy Mike got a ta- or Mark got attacked by um the the big I guess big sister. Um and there are crutches in the apartment too, so he's not doing too well.
1: Yeah. Our boy Mark is uh Yeah. He's not doing so hot.
0: Also, um there is a photo um that looks like it is of his wife and their daughter, and spoiler alert: the daughter looks just like all the other little girls that have gone missing. Mm-hmm. So I wonder why this guy's been so obsessed with tracking whatever these, whatever's stealing these kids.
1: Um, yeah, and also, also worth noting is that um the X-rays are dated April nineteen sixty eight, so we have jumped.
0: Oh, I didn't realize that. We've jumped like six months. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So six months later, I'm out of the hospital. I guess my daughter's gone by now. And it's time to figure out what's up. Is there anything that I missed? I think those are the important things that I found.
1: Um, Outside yes. of just
0: realizing that the map was there.
1: Yeah, I think those are the most important ones. Um, There was... A bit of a real-time gap in between the two phases. Um, Phase one was March, and phase two started May 23rd.
0: Okay, so that's a good couple months at this point.
1: Yeah. Which I imagine they were just, like, getting the website ready and all of that. What did the hype
0: cycle go through with E3 and all?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, there's the x-rays, there's the photo of his wife and their daughter. This phase is also much longer. Which is why yeah. I think they might have been kind of taking time off to get stuff ready. Like, makes sense. Phase one is kind of like a prequel to all of this stuff that's happening. <laughs> um, Day two... Uh, A Mother's Day card appears on the desk. Um, It's a Mother's Day card from Mark to his wife Amanda. And the picture of his wife and daughter has moved to be next to the card. There's also a picture of his daughter on the beach, uh, dated July of 63. And there's also a summons for divorce. Divorce.
0: Oh no, Mark.
1: Dated April 68, um, and delivered May 20th, 1968. So we know that, um, real time in the game is May, is also May, but it's
2: 1968.
1: Okay. Um, and his wife is asking (sighs) for a divorce because he, Mark, uh, has been recklessly endangering the safety and well-being of his spouse and family.
0: And presumably getting his daughter kidnapped.
1: Uh, Presumably.
0: Well, like, I presume it's because of his actions that, like, the thing followed him back and was like, oh, "Oh, dope, it's a kid.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, Because the next day, uh, there's a new picture of his daughter uh, riding a horse, and one of the notes on it says, last picture. And it's dated uh, October 21st,
4: 1967. Okay.
1: Um, And then there is an older picture of his daughter on her third birthday uh, in 64. Uh, There is a message from a member of the National UFO Society uh, named Phil Isidore on Mark's answering machine, which the players notice they can actually listen to. Uh, And he says he hasn't heard from Mark in some time uh he's wondering what's up with mark uh and if he's okay um and mark sends a letter back to phil and asks to only and asks uh to only send postcards because he his leg is injured still okay um and the letter is found in the mail slot uh of his apartment door Day four, uh, there's more photos, there's his daughter as a baby, there's his daughter in 1965, and there's also a new message on the voicemail from Phil uh, requesting more information on his quote-unquote accident and offering to help investigate in his daughter Cindy's disappearance. Which is, I think, the first confirmation that his daughter actually did get kidnapped.
0: Oh, okay. I, Yeah. Gotcha. I didn't realize we hadn't been (laughs) proven right yet. Okay, cool.
1: Um,
0: I mean, not for him, but...
1: Yeah. Uh, Day five, there's three new documents. Uh, The first is a letter from Mark to Jeremiah Lynch, who was in the first part of... The ARG. Uh, he uh, that was the
0: first guy from day one, right?
1: Yes. Uh, he is an American citizen born in Ireland, and he took the photos of the um, the footprints on the beach, I believe. Okay. Uh, Mark requests uh, that Jeremiah send all new information to his office in Montauk. Uh, apparently. Jeremiah has been sending him information related to, like, mythical underwater cities, uh, which hasn't been of any help. And Mark is like, look, instead of sending me all of this stuff about, like, Atlantis, I need you to, like, use your information network to find real information for me. (laughs) There is a newspaper clipping uh, detailing that Mark's daughter has been kidnapped. It's dated October 1967, uh, and it says that Mark has been investigating, quote-unquote, UFOs. Okay. Uh, There's also a sketch that Mark made of his assailant, uh, which is the big sister, uh, and he annotates it, wondering why he was allowed to live. Uh, after the attack. Okay. There is also a crumpled letter to Roscoe on the floor uh, with more details of Cindy's kidnapping. It's dated uh, September 67. Um, Mark was able to track down the big sister, guessed that it was going to come to Montauk. Uh, He used his parents-in-law vacation house uh, as a base to go with his like photography equipment to capture this mystery kidnapper on film so that he could send it to the government. Okay. Um, the big sister spotted him and followed him to the house and then spotted his daughter and took her the second night that he was there. Uh, he, Mark, knew that he was to blame for it and he asked Uh, He sent all the information to, or he was going to, but then he trashed the letter uh, to Roscoe and was going to ask him to basically continue the investigation for him. Okay. Uh, There's also a document saying that Mark got a psychiatric evaluation um, and was discharged from the hospital in June of 68.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, day 6, May 28th, in real 2009 time, uh, a detective leaves a message on Mark's answering machine. He asks about the accident and says that he is open to discussing it. Um, he very clearly thinks that Mark is nuts and maybe even thinks that he had something to do with the kidnapping. Okay. Yeah.
0: Don't you see that this is a man that's lost his wife and his daughter? <laughs>
1: Uh, Mark also writes a letter to his good friend at the UFO Society. Uh, He explains uh, that he uh, got discharged from the hospital. He went after the big sister again and found a mystery red light in the Hudson River. Uh, He caught it with a fishing net, but it escaped and... That was when he got his ribs and his leg broken.
2: <laughs> Yikes.
1: It uh it cut through the fishing net and it beat him up. <laughs> um and he says that he was he basically got saved because a cab drove by and the headlights scared this thing off, and also that afterwards his wallet was missing.
0: This thing mugged him?
1: Apparently.
0: You gotta steal kids and also whatever you got in your pockets.
1: Um, Day 7, May 29th uh, The office is cleaned up Instead of completely trashed Like it kind of is at the beginning Okay Um, All of the previous documents That have been found are now in the file cabinet um, Okay And there's a note with all of the Previously recorded phone messages There's a new message From the detective on the phone Uh, mentioning that a red light was seen around Mark's office at night. Oh, shit. There's also a mysterious box covered in symbols, uh, which is a puzzle box, appears in the office. And there is a note by Mark that says, She was here? How did she find me? Why no attack? What is this thing? Weapon? Improvised bomb? What do all of these symbols mean? (laughs) So... The um the players get this puzzle box that they have to solve, which apparently they nicknamed the lunch box because it has like a handle like kind of like a lunch box. Here, I'll send you a okay. picture of
0: it. Oh, okay. So now there's an actual like gameplay element starting to come into the fold. Yeah. Okay. Um,
1: there's a cipher that covers the front of the box. We'll probably include this picture in the yeah. show notes. Um Yeah, so
0: there's a A bunch of symbols on this thing that look like they're a cipher that I assume would spell something out if we could decode it. And then there are three rings that have, there are two on the outside that look like they have gears and then one in the middle that looks like a hole. And these have a ring that has the cipher around them. So it looks like kind of a line them up, get the right password, and then you're good to go sort of deal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the players don't have the resources to solve the cipher yet. Okay. So they get this box and they can't do anything with it yet. But they know that eventually they probably will be able to solve it. Because this cipher is like an in-game cipher. Like it's a cipher that the people making this game just invented.
0: It's not like Caesarian cipher or something like that. It's yeah. It's bespoke symbols.
1: Yeah, it's like a pictograph cipher that they just made up.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool.
1: Yeah. Um, so June 1st is day eight. Um, Roscoe leaves another message on Mark's answering machine, uh, warning him about hoaxes uh, concerning the break-in and the puzzle box. There is also a mysterious glow behind a stack of books in his office, um, and Mm. which seems to be some kind of a window. uh, And people note that the puzzle box is very close to this mystery glow, and that it's possible that the big sister could have just placed it through the window. Shuts it through a window. Yeah, (laughs) you know, just. Just yeet it in there. (laughs) So day nine, UFO society guy sends Mark a copy of Eutropolis, which is a book about like a futuristic underwater city, which is basically like a fictional version of Rapture.
0: A fictional version of a fictional city.
1: Yes. Um, It is exactly that. Like, it's just rapture but all of the names are changed <laughs> um, like and it, andrew it,
0: bryan made a new city
1: like it mentions big daddies but they're called patriarchs and there's splicers <laughs> but they're called juicers so uh mark's ufo society contact phil uh says that the guy who wrote about this fictional rapture um Ended up going mysteriously missing, and that the UFO community debates a lot over whether this place that he wrote about was real. Um, okay. And what happened to him, because he just, like, mysteriously disappeared. Gotcha. Um, And... Day 10, Mark gets a voicemail message from his wife telling him to give up trying to find their daughter.
2: Uh-oh.
1: Um, and day 11, Mark has managed to crack open the puzzle box.
0: Ooh. Did we just... What What, what was the way to open it? Did we figure it out? Or was there just like... <laughs> someone cracked it.
1: Um, he leaves notes behind, I believe. Let me pull them up. There's a huge, like, gallery of all of the notes that he has left, uh, during this phase of the ARG. Um, (laughs) so yes, he leaves two notes behind. Um, he also calls it the lunchbox, which I choose to believe is the, uh, (laughs)
0: <laughs> the, the canonical GMs. name for the box?
1: Well, I, I choose to believe it's the GMs, like, noticing that the players <laughs> said, said that and got cute about it. Sure. Um. So I think the players were able to open it themselves from what I'm seeing here. Okay. Yes. So it looks like what happened was these... Books on symbol codes at some point showed up in Mark's office. One of them belonged to Mark's daughter, and it was called A Child's Garden of Ciphers.
0: Okay. It's just the GM saying, this cipher's so easy, a child could solve it.
1: (laughs) Written by someone called Orson Orville Little. Okay. Um, And there is a symbol code in them known as Lutwigian Cipher. Uh, Which is the cipher on the lunchbox puzzle.
0: Okay. So then they just figured out what it would probably spell out?
1: Yes. So they figure out that the message on the front of the lunchbox is the phrase, I can't remember my birthday. Do you remember my birthday? I have a new birthday.
2: Oh,
0: I bet it's the daughter's birthday then.
1: Yep. They basically have to put her birthday into... Um, letters, so they have to do, like, a, a one equals a whatever, and then they have to put that into the Ludwigian cipher.
0: Okay, that makes sense.
1: Yes. Um, and inside the lunchbox, they get a mask of one of the splicers from Bioshock, uh, there's some little paper dolls of the Little Sister's. There's uh, a crayon drawing of a big sister and a little sister, uh, and the big sister is attacking uh, this other person who is like a woman with long blonde hair, uh, and there is oh. a cipher message that says, it's cold down here, Daddy, come find me.
0: Yikes, okay. Yeah. Oh.
3: okay.
1: Yeah.
0: So... She's not just... Well, I guess the little girl isn't a little blonde girl, is she? So the um, thing isn't attacking yeah. her, it's some other woman?
1: Yes. I hope.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't hope, but I... Okay.
1: The next day, uh, the papers uh, from Mark trying to crack the code get tidied up and placed on the desk. Uh, his hat is left behind in his office, and there is a camera and binoculars... Uh, and okay. his crutches are there against the bookshelf. Day thirteen, which is day thirteen, when, which is when we get into some of the weird Bioshock game-related stuff. Okay. Um. So there is some articles that are new in Mark's office um, about the secret history of the vanishing um okay which is about um this list of individuals who went missing from 1946 to 1950 uh including artists scientists business innovators and a couple like ordinary people who were big on like self-reliance and independence uh there's a lot of libertarians yeah there's a lot of theories around it um some people think that it was the russians again uh Mm -hmm. trying to get rid of uh this whole generation of like brilliant minds and libertarians um some people think it was a bunch of disgruntled people who went off to like form their own uh, commune um there's a French heiress who is a well-known researcher of the vanishing, uh, who believes that they all went to Shangri-La. <laughs> uh, and there is a scholar who is uh, Oren Oscar Lutwidge, who created the Lewigian cipher, um, ah. who was a well-known researcher before he also mysteriously vanished himself. Okay. You may have guessed... That so, the Vanishing is everyone
0: that went to Rapture. <laughs> right. It's all the people that were like, I've read Atlas Shrugged, let's do this. Underwater society, <laughs> nothing will go wrong.
1: Um, But it it's is really... very interesting that, like, general society now has a bunch of conspiracy theories about them.
0: Yeah, that's a... I thought it was just... So I think in Infinite, I think that it's just, like, pretty well known that there's a floating city. Um, yeah. But it, I, I guess I never put together that like people didn't know about Rapture. That seems like a thing that I don't know how you secretly build an underground, an underwater city.
1: I guess you have to be really rich and pay people not to notice it.
2: I guess <laughs> no.
1: it is really weird.
0: Okay. So. Okay.
1: I also so we're, not, we're
0: not just go ahead.
1: Also, I think in the middle of World War II, you could probably get away with it, though. That's true. That's true. Like, today, in this day and age, if, like, Jeff Bezos built an underwater city, everyone would know about it as soon as he started doing it.
0: Yeah, someone would put it on Instagram.
1: Yeah. But, like, in the 40s, in the middle of World War II, who's gonna notice?
0: fair okay and maybe like maybe the government knows about rapture but like the general people don't or something like that that would make sense
1: well we know it was like a no-go zone for ships and stuff so someone in the government probably knows
0: yeah that makes sense okay so we're not just finding the daughters we're learning the secret of what happened to all of these objectivists yes 20 years ago too Okay.
1: Yes. Um day 14 there's a new message from the detective investigating Mark's daughter's kidnapping. Uh he thinks that Mark knows where his daughter is and he is uh trying to persuade him to talk about it. Okay. And there's also a sheet of names of uh, people who are known to have been part of the vanishing um okay mark uh marks out this kind of 20 year range as this time between the vanishing and the series of kidnappings and he wonders if they're connected at all um i think also the sheet of names also has characters that people recognize from bioshock one so they're like oh yeah it's it's rapture they all they <laughs> all went to the underwater place okay so now um, we're getting
0: to more than just, like, brief glimpses of a Game Informer cover. We're getting to, like, actual characters and stuff that are in the game.
1: Yeah. Cool. Um, Day 15. Uh, Mark's naval intelligence friend uh, tells him that there's an internal investigation uh, going on at the Office of Naval Intelligence and says it might prevent him from looking for information about this vanishing um, from here on out, day sixteen um Mark finds this German article uh that says there's a movement going on in Germany of people pressing the government into reopening the case of the missing persons who all went to rapture. okay, It's very
0: cool that they are like. I love it when a sequel or something like that comes out and the plot like it doesn't just like linearly continue. It like expands.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: It's cool that there are like it's not just like one person is like, hmm, I believe all these people went missing ages ago. It's neat that we're getting like a bunch of different reports that are like, hey, I think something's up. Yeah, and it's, it's neat to see all of these different accounts that are all working with their own theories, and trying to find what happened, and like turning something that was just a given and a way of life in the game, and saying, like, it's actually fucked up, and it's affecting the people that were left behind. Here's how. I think that's a it's, really cool development for, like, Bioshock lore.
1: It's very which cool. Which
0: is a phrase I never thought I would say.
1: <laughs> um, There's also a very cool thing that happens on this day, which is that A couple letters that were written by players to Mark show up on his board. Um, They got his P.O. box number from his office, like, in-game. And a couple of the players, I guess, were like, Oh, I wonder what happens if we send letters. Uh, And they showed up on the website. Interesting. So
0: what what are players doing during this? Are they... Like, I I assume they're on, like, the unfiction forums or something like that, or?
1: Yeah, I think they're mostly just kind of, like, gathering the information that is in the office and trying to figure out how it relates to the plot of Bioshock and possibly the plot of Bioshock 2. Okay. So they're kind of, like... Putting together, you're like, oh, here's what Mark found out, and like, here are these characters that we know from Bioshock One. So here's how it connects.
0: Gotcha. Because it seems like it's a much more passive ARG than ARGs we've had yeah. in the past.
1: It definitely is. It's I think built more for like giving the fans information, and then them kind of going back and like theorizing. Sure. To themselves about what the game is going to be.
0: That makes sense yeah it's a good commercial.
1: <laughs> um, what better way
0: to advertise than to make people think about a game for like you know every day for the next a hundred and something days, you're going to think about Bioshock,
1: yeah, so the next day uh day seventeen, June fifteenth uh there is an article about a mysterious disappearance in Australia um in 47, where three people were on the beach, uh, there was a red light seen heading towards them from the water, and they vanished without a trace from Australia. Okay. Um. Then the next day, there is a Chinese newspaper from 46 about another missing person, uh, and Mark is kind of accumulating all of these newspaper articles from around the world of these people who disappeared in between like 46 and 1949 um, who we know outside of the game probably went to Rapture or did go to Rapture because some of the names mentioned are like names you could find on audio logs in Bioshock one.
0: That's very cool. Yeah. It's funny that like in game was a thing that someone was like, man, fucking Mary won't do her laundry. And then it's like, flashback to 20 years ago, we're getting a newspaper clipping about when Mary went missing. That's neat. Yeah,
1: it's very cool. Um, So day 19, more missing person stuff. Day 20, uh, we get an audio tape recording of Mark's UFO friend uh, who is on a radio show to talk about the possible connection between the new kidnappings and the vanishing, uh, but he thinks that they were abducted by UFOs. Of course. Uh, And Mark also gets his hands on a confidential memo from his friend at the Naval Intelligence Office uh, that summarizes the US government's investigation on the vanishing, uh, and they have found that Around 500,000 people went missing between 1946 and 1952. Jesus. So, a lot of people vanished.
0: Yeah. I want to jump back for a second, because we scoffed at this guy thinking that it was UFOs. But frankly, the actual answer is no, no, no. They went to the secret city under the waves. I don't yeah. think we can scoff at these people because the only the only difference between the truth and what they believe is that the truth is real, quote unquote. Like that's true. The, UFOs is a much more believable theory, I think.
1: Yeah, these people don't know about the secret underwater city where only, also everyone got killed.
0: Yeah, we 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 only know about this because we've played Bioshock. Like, I I, I need to cut these people some slack. <laughs> what doofuses they think it was ufos it was actually a submarine
1: uh, <laughs> it's true like i feel like if someone said the real theory people would in in the game would treat it as as being as ridiculous as like oh ufos took
0: them exactly a- as they should
1: <laughs> yeah really uh so the next couple days, Mark continues to collect uh information on the vanishing and like different expeditions and reports on it. Uh he collects a article about that French uh woman's expedition, the one who thought they were all sent to Shangri-La. Um
0: <laughs> What a dummy.
1: Apparently her father was among the missing. Uh, She led an expedition to the Himalayas to look for them, and she was the only survivor of the expedition. Oh no. There was a group dedicated to proving that it was a Soviet plot uh, to murder people.
0: (laughs) It was crazy Soviets. Uh,
1: And Mark's naval officer friend uh, sends him a message saying, no, it wasn't the Soviets. I'm gonna send you uh, some information that we have from Russia um, where they tried to investigate this thing that was happening. And I'll prove to you that it wasn't the Russians.
0: Meanwhile, the Russians are like, I bet it's those Americans. (laughs)
1: Um, And he sends Mark uh, a missing persons report uh, intercepted from the KGB who think that it's the United States using submarines to abduct Russians.
0: <laughs> so they're right. They're closer.
1: Yeah. They're
0: way uh, and, closer than we are.
1: And Mark also gets in touch with the French woman, uh, but she leaves him a message saying that she doesn't want to talk about the vanishing anymore and don't call her again. <laughs> uh, but, but That's then a good she,
0: response.
1: But then she sends him a letter saying that there's people out there who are trying to bury the truth and uh, they were responsible for the rest of her expedition dying in the Himalayas um, and she says okay. don't and basically she just says don't get involved they're monitoring my communications so I can't say anything else. <laughs> um, the next day we're on day 26 now which is June 29th in the real world uh, Mark goes to a meeting of this American group that thinks that the Soviets are behind the vanishing. Uh, he makes a note that he thinks he was followed home from the meeting. Uh, he manages to lose them in the subway. He thinks that it was either a undercover cop or someone linked to the big sister that beat him up okay. earlier in this phase. Um and he brings also he brings back a recording uh of one of the group members giving a speech uh about the Soviet Union and how all of the people who went missing were murdered by the Soviet Union <laughs> um Mark's office gets cleaned up a little bit on day twenty seven uh just some of the Um, papers get rearranged and like put in the file cabinet Mm -hmm. Um, his good buddy Jeremiah Lynch leaves him a message complaining that he's being left out of the investigation Uh, and he wants to know what Mark (laughs) is working on he sends him a book that is called The Frozen Triangle which is apparently like the Bermuda Triangle, but more deadly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he th- and he says that he thinks it's relevant to Mark's uh, investigation. <laughs>
3: okay.
1: Um, day twenty-eight. We're on twenty-eight. Yeah. Uh Mark gets a record in the mail, which is a song called "Rise, Rapture, Rise," uh, which is in Bioshock. uh it's okay a propaganda song about rapture <laughs> um and also fans who sent letters to the p o box got a physical record of the song in the mail.
0: Mar you need to listen to the song.
1: This is really good!
0: So there's a record of Rise Rapture Rise being played.
1: Yes. Um, and fans who sent um who sent letters to the P.O. Box actually got this record in the mail.
0: That's incredible.
1: Which is yeah, isn't that awesome?
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Um, and the record so the B side of the record that was sent to the players, and also the record on Mark's, uh, desk has a distorted child's voice at the end.
0: Oh, I don't like that.
1: Which I don't think is in the recording on the website. On the, on the wiki, I mean. Daddy.
0: Nope, it's here. I just oh, no, got it's here. To... Where are you, Daddy? Oh.
2: Are you going to come and find me?
0: Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: Um, so, yeah, so some of the players actually get the record in the mail, uh, but it can also be played on the website. Um, Mark doesn't know who sent him the record and why, but he thinks the voice is his daughter. uh, okay. he leaves a note that says he spent three hours on the phone talking to record stores to try and figure out uh <laughs> did someone where buy this from you? <laughs> Uh he can find absolutely no record of the song or the label. Uh he recognizes the word rapture because apparently the scholar uh Lutwidge, who vanished uh while he was researching the vanishing, uh said like something like, I'm going to rapture or something, or like I'm going to the rapture, and no one thought that, that was weird at all <laughs> <laughs> Um, Mark digs up more on the life of this guy, Letwidge. Uh, He was an inventor of puzzle boxes. Okay. Um, He authored books and articles for young readers, including that code book. He apparently was a government uh, consult on code breaking during World War II.
0: He's like a cooler Dan Brown.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, Apparently between... 56 and 58, uh, his correspondence got very erratic and full of nonsense and, like, references to children's literature, and then he disappeared, saying that he was going to find true rapture.
0: Okay. Creepy dude, except he was right.
1: Yeah. And he also made up the cypher that was on the lunchbox. Right. Yes. Yes. Day 30, we find out that Mark has been trying to get in contact with his wife on the phone uh, to tell her everything he's been investigating, but he gets a message from her attorney instead. Uh, He didn't answer his court summons.
0: Uh Uh-oh.
1: And Yeah. Mark. And he is asked to stop trying to contact his wife. Uh, there's a letter that is ripped and crumpled up where he started writing to apologize to his wife and they kind of, like, gave up halfway through. Sure. Oh, Mark. <laughs> Epic divorce, man. This is what you get for trying to be in an
0: ARG while also having a wife. You can't have it all, buddy.
1: It's true. Uh, Day 31, Mark gets I- that... Every Sorry, every
0: ARG, a a good chunk of them, like, and a lot of stories like this include a character that's like, this is a guy whose divorce fell to shit because he got too wrapped up in the ARG. And it's like, yeah, I don't, like, we're supposed to feel sorry for them. And on some level, you kind of do. But at the same time, like, yeah, dog, like, that's what happens (laughs) when you get too wrapped up in stuff that, like, you let your entire world slip away.
1: That's what happens when you, like, investigate a lake cryptid, and then it kidnaps your daughter.
0: Basically. Like, I don't know. Having a daughter be kidnapped would probably be enough to do it anyways, just speaking of real-world yeah. experience things. But, like, when you get wrapped up and trying to track down a monster that did it, like, your life starts to fall to shit. It's, I feel like we're supposed to, like, take his side of things when, like, Divorcing that person always feels like a reasonable answer to me. I don't know.
1: Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on this one. Okay.
0: That's my wedding advice to people. Don't get wrapped up in late cryptids. <laughs>
1: um, so day 31, he gets the Frozen Triangle book, uh, which is about this very specific zone of the North Atlantic Ocean. Mm-hmm. uh where ships have been disappearing for the last 20 years. Uh here's a fun fact. The book lists that the author um the fictional author of this book uh has authored many other books including Animal ESP. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. Ghosts
1: of Ber- Ghosts of Bermuda. Okay. Yeti: The Abominable Quest. <laughs> okay and ufo unidentified flying orgy oh my okay
0: (laughs) okay so this guy clearly is in rapture
1: oh yeah he knows this guy definitely knows what he's talking about
0: (laughs) this guy definitely doesn't think the government should have a say in
1: whether or not you should drive a car yeah um so mark's Irish friend sends him this book with a letter that's like, hey, this might be useful to your investigation. And also, I think that Atlantis is important to your investigation. And Mark is like, what does this guy know?
0: <laughs> what a dummy, thinking Atlantis is involved. What that's a fool. almost as dumb as thinking that a UFO is involved. Or that everyone's in Shanker Law.
1: Uh, Utter dunces.
0: Y- <laughs> Doofus is the lot of them.
1: He also contacts uh, the French woman again uh, asking about Lutwidge and she is- basically says, oh, he was crazy and you're not going to find out anything if you investigate him.
0: Yeah, fucking buffoon.
1: <laughs> um, and he also finds an article uh, about a fire in Manhattan that was about three months after Lutwidge disappeared, uh, which was started by an explosion at his workplace, which was in a building that Lutwidge owned. Um, And Mark says that he plans to visit the building, uh, which is abandoned currently.
2: Okay. Yeah. Uh,
1: Day 33 we find out that mark was arrested for trespassing at the workplace mark mark um but the detective who um was investigating his daughter's disappearance bails him out okay uh day 34. <sighs> Oh no, the detective was the one who processed him. Mark paid his own bail. Okay. Um Day 34 we get Mark's actual account of his investigation. Uh he finds a fireproof box with some real-to-reel tapes damaged by fire. Uh he takes one with him. As soon as he leaves, he gets arrested. Um <laughs> He gets questioned for three hours by the detective who still thinks that he kidnapped his own daughter.
4: Sure.
1: Uh, and then he bails himself out. Okay. Uh, he puts the tape on his desk so the players are able to listen to it. It's uh, Oren Oscar Lutwidge uh, talking to the listener, saying that, there are secrets to be found, and that rapture is somewhere downward. Um, and he tells the listener to find the threefold key with the sevenfold lock.
0: Threefold key with the sevenfold lock.
1: Okay. Here, I can I can send it to you, actually. They have audio recordings on this website. Sure. It's weird that... Uh...
0: I, I understand it, but it's odd that they're uh like treating Rapture like it's a mystery. When like we as the player is absolutely, like saying, Oh, you'll never find Rapture because it's down below and it's like, Yeah, dog, we know. <laughs> like, I played Bioshock, I know. Would you kindly fuck off? Like
1: It it is very funny. I'm surprised no one Well, we don't know, but If it were me, I would probably try and send a message, like a a letter to Mark's P.O. box and be like, hey. (laughs) It's in the sea. There's something in the sea. (laughs) Hey, just so you know, it's in the ocean.
4: The opener of the way greets the seeker of the secret. Foolish, Parsifal, would you know of rapture? You have sought, but you have not sought deeply. Even as you stood in the ashes of my quest, and your hand closed upon the echo of my voice, a deeper secret awaited beneath the hollow of your soul. Rapture may lie close to heaven, but heaven lies not always in the heights. Look downward, angel, and find the threefold key with the sevenfold lock. But know ye this, the path to knowledge is sown with pitfalls. This is Oren Lutwidge, September, 1958.
1: He has a surprisingly nice voice to listen to. Yeah,
0: it's it's actually pretty nice. It's calm for all of the wild things that it's saying.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, so he finds the tape, which is titled For the Seeker. Um. The next day... He returns to the building after listening to the tape. Uh, Sorry, he he being Mark? Yes, Mark. He returns to the building that he got arrested for trespassing in. Okay. Uh, He follows the instructions on the tape and he finds a secret hatchway under the floorboards.
2: Ooh. uh,
1: Which has a metal box. Um, And he says that he's kind of... Baffled by the fact that Lutwidge left behind this trail of clues that still hold up, like, ten years after he disappeared. So it's an ARG within the ARG. Yep. Alright. Um, and the players find the metal box in the office. Um, it is another puzzle box. It has kind of all of these, like, weird sliding buttons on them. Okay. Um, and I they have the Ludwigian cipher on them. Um, and they can kind of be moved around the box. Actually, I'm gonna send you a picture of it. It's very hard to describe what this puzzle box looks like.
0: Okay. Oh, yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, so it's like a front face of a box, and there are, like, four squares on it, and each of the squares has, like, two buttons that look like they could be slided around the squares, like the, um, like those toys in a doctor's waiting room, where you have the yeah. beads on the tracks, it's like four square tracks that go out from the center of the box that each have two buttons on, that but all have different symbols. Okay.
1: Yes. So this is the threefold key with the sevenfold lock. Sure. Um, And when you move the cypher kind of buttons around to spell out Red Queen uh, in the Ah, cypher, um, it plays a message from Litwidge.
0: Ooh. Okay, this one doesn't have an MP3, so I will read it. Oh, magus, you have begun thy journey. Your master's temple is fallen, but his work is not yet finished. Turn south by west toward Great Mohockentuck. Upon its shoulder shall you find the decrepit corpse of the Red Queen. If you'd run her gr- If you would run her race, then seek her crown jewels. They wait beyond the looking glass. Follow the twinkling of gems, O Seeker, and you shall unlock the roads to rapture. This is Oren Oscar Lutquidge, September 1958. So, does this mean that we have to turn the buttons on this box, like, down and then to the left? Maybe. Like, I, I don't know, I'm just spitballing.
1: <laughs> um so yeah the, so the players solve the box get that are like I don't know what to do with this <laughs> um, the next day um Mark has a answering machine message from the French woman who warns him about Litwidge's dangerous lies oh um and there are newspaper clippings uh that point out a couple name uh, a couple businesses that Andrew Ryan managed under fake names. Okay. Um, Apparently a couple of them were just anagrams for Andrew Ryan.
0: (laughs) As geniuses are wont to do.
1: Yeah. Um, And Mark's naval friend leaves him a message saying that he should not trust the French woman that he's been talking to.
0: Nobody should trust anyone. Got it.
1: Um, he gets another message from the Frenchwoman, uh, who is angry at him for some reason and Mark tracks down where Lutwidge's, like, various shell companies that he managed uh, for his publishing and all of that were housed. Um, he explains that he thinks that uh, the Red Queen's corpse is one of the buildings uh, for these companies. Okay. And he also notes that Lutwidge had more money than an ordinary man could have had access to.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah. Um, Mark compiles a bunch of his information on Lutwidge. Uh, apparently, he was in touch with both the Frenchwoman and Jeremiah Lynch. Uh, And he was business partners with Andrew Ryan. Okay. Um, The French woman apologizes for yelling at Mark and being angry with him. Uh, She says that Letwidge at one point deceived her and pretended to be her father and like who disappeared and then taunted her about it. Uh, Mark finds out that Lutwidge managed a company called the Scarlet Sovereign Company, uh, and okay, sold steel objects to Andrew Ryan's uh companies that he owned under an alias. Uh, Mark comments that uh he. There was this company called the Warden Yarn Company that Andrew Ryan managed, uh, and Mark comments that they were buying a lot of steel for a yarn company. <laughs> <laughs> the okay.
2: Bioshock
1: w- the Bioshock Wiki goes on to say, one might get the idea that the steel was being used for something other than yarn production, like maybe hmm. an underwater city. Perhaps a city neath the waves. <laughs> Um, and Mark thinks that the Scarlet Sovereign building is the Red Queen.
0: Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Okay. Get it, Mark. Solve those puzzles
1: <laughs> Uh, Mark goes to the Warden Yarn warehouse and he... No, he goes to the Scarlet Sovereign warehouse uh and he discovers a restroom with a red painted door uh okay he breaks a mirror in the restroom and finds a map a tape and a mysterious object behind it um the dock patrolman spotted him but he pretended that he was just like someone (laughs) raiding the building like, for urban exploration, and the cops let him go. Uh, He also thinks that the detective who has been investigating him thinks that he murdered his daughter. Okay. Um, So he puts up this new map, which is almost blank, in his office. Uh, There's a new reel-to-reel tape by Lutwidge, and the detective leaves him a new message about his break-in.
4: They say that rapture's but a myth. But myths are never cast adrift when the lunar lady shifts and graces shorelines with her gifts. Now let the bellman's chart reveal what the icy triangle conceals and how its briny ventricles course and tumble, push and pull. Parse the numbers. Don't be late. The thirst of knowledge will be slaked for the seeker who awakes to seize the dawn when secrets break. This is Orin Oscar Lutwidge, only one lost among
0: many. Okay, that's cool that that started adding in because I was about to say it's very funny that this guy adds like, this is Orin Lutwidge after the at the end of each <laughs> one. But that's, that's one lost among many is neat.
1: Yeah. Uh, and so the next day, we find out uh, what Mark's mysterious object that he found was. It is surprise, surprise, another puzzle box. Ooh. Uh, this one is called a jewelry box puzzle. Jewelry box puzzle.
0: Oh, wow. It's because it's a jewelry box.
1: Yeah. Um. And it has... A pattern of lights on it that when you click on one, another one opens in a different or another one lights up in a different slot. Um, okay. The way to solve it is that you have to click on each light immediately when it appears. And if you click the same light more than once, it um, resets the entire puzzle.
0: Okay. So it's just like a dexterity check, basically.
1: Yeah, it's like a it's like a memory game, kind of. Gotcha neat um and apparently the way people were able to solve it is they held a piece of paper up to the screen um and they marked where each light (laughs) lit up and they drew one two three four
0: five yeah nice nice work players that's very fun good work
1: yeah um and when they opened that they got a new message and they got another puzzle (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um and the new message was this there's also not an audio recording of it
0: you have unlocked the treasures of the empresses but in the unbinding of the lock you also found a key for the key points to the sea where the grandest treasure waits but the sea has its own strange song if you find yourself stranded on the shore with the evidence you long have sought yet unable to advance, then listen well and take notes. This is Orin Oscar Lutwidge, one other lolling in drunken ecstasy upon the way to rapture. I hope these titles keep getting longer and
1: longer. <laughs> so the um, the next puzzle was called the Coordinate p- Piano. The Coordinate um, Piano. Because it had a set of keys that all had specific times and latitude and longitude coordinates on them. Jesus. Um, And they all had a certain musical tone that they would play when you press them.
0: Okay. Um,
1: the players couldn't solve this one yet because they didn't know what they were supposed to play on the piano.
0: Sure. Okay.
1: Um... So after that uh there are more fan-written letters appear on Mark's wall. Uh they are all letters written by fans that are like, "Oh, my daughter was also kidnapped."
2: <laughs>
1: um or like my family member vanished. Um we find out that Lutwidge had a fascination with Lewis Carroll. Okay. Um, and we know that Mark is reading the frozen triangle book, uh, because right. we see it open on his desk. Oh, okay, cool. Um, and there's, uh, there's a list inside of like major incidents in the frozen triangle since world war two. <laughs> um and aside from that not a lot
0: does it list locations where those incidents happened
1: well i would assume they're within the frozen triangle Uh, um
0: yeah i that makes sense never mind i was thinking that (laughs) might line up with the uh the the piano notes with the the coordinates on them but i guess not
1: Um, Aside from that, not much else happens until day 49, which is we are now in August. Um, Mark makes a list about the things that he has deduced so far from the clues that he has. Um, It's basically mostly stuff that the players have also (laughs) deduced. Okay. Okay. I feel like there's kind of a pattern where the players are, like, very ahead of Mark.
0: <laughs> the game masters are like, I really thought the jewelry puzzle would take them longer.
1: Yeah. Um, one of the One of his notes is, rapture is a place. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, dog, play Bioshock. <laughs> you can go there and get psychic and shit.
1: Um, and he notes that rapture is probably where he will find his daughter okay so mark makes this list um he sends a letter to his ufo friend uh with a list of beach coordinates asking him to check them for anything out of the ordinary uh but he finds out that phil is attending the giant boulder saucer convention
0: the the what
1: the giant boulder saucer convention which i think is like is, a ufo that
0: convention. like a ufo thing okay yeah i was um, thinking like a boulder i i thought you said the giant boulder sausage convention <laughs> and i was i'm in for the giant boulder sausage convention
2: oh my god sign
0: me up
1: uh, he recruits a couple of his contacts, Mark recruits a couple of his contacts from uh, Europe to investigate uh, beaches. He finds out that a lot of the people um, who vanished, vanished on August 8th, uh, which is a date that is soon coming up in 2009 in the real world, uh, for those of you keeping track.
0: It is. Um, Day after my birthday.
1: Yeah. Uh, And he is continuing to read The Frozen Triangle, uh, which is open to a different page discussing the plausibility of islands rising suddenly out of the sea. Mm. Hmm.
3: Hmm.
1: Hmm. Mark says that he is going to visit a beach near him on August 8th Uh, He says, hoping my contacts hit the other nine beaches. Got a feeling this is big. Uh, The players are like, wait a second. We got a list of beaches. Tomorrow's August 8th. What if we go to those beaches (laughs) in real life? Oh shit. (laughs) Should we have been doing this? (laughs) Um, So they do. Okay. Um, They go to these ten different beaches. Um, I believe... The locations of the beaches were also sent to a couple different like gaming sites so that reporters could come out and like, sure, see what it was about. Um, they get these empty bottles of Arcadia Merlot, which is a wine brand from Bioshock. Okay. Um, and each of them washes up on the beach with posters from Rapture on them. That's Um, so cool. To promote plasmids and rapture itself.
0: That's very cool.
1: It is very cool. Um, And then the next day in Mark's office, uh, one of the bottles appears with the posters.
0: Cool. Okay. Yeah. He was Uh, there.
1: He was. Except
0: it was 50 years ago.
1: (laughs) Yes. Um, August 11th uh, Mark finds a bunch of files at the abandoned warehouse um, and the players get them as well. Uh, he, okay. Mark writes some notes on his thoughts so far on Letwidge. Uh, he thinks that Letwidge and Andrew Ryan have some kind of relation to Rapture. and They were business partners. Uh, he's looking for the location of a winery that... Um, made the wine that's in the Arcadia Merlot. Um, The winery is apparently a winery that exists in Rapture, uh, which people know from the video game. Okay. Um, There is a new letter written by Letwidge um, detailing how uh, Andrew Ryan's yarn company purchased all of this steel and these construction supplies for a project in the North Atlantic (laughs) Uh, he expresses kind of like dismay with the fact that Ryan didn't fulfill his terms of the contract by 1952 by which time as we know rapture was built and Andrew Ryan was beneath the waves okay Um, And Lutwidge says Uh, that he is going to pursue Ryan to make sure that he makes good on the contract. What?
0: Sorry, what role does Lutwidge play in this contract? Was he supplying the steel? Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah, Ryan purchased the steel and construction equipment from him.
0: And he was like, great, I will definitely hit you back up. I I believe in the power of contracts and uh, signed law. So uh, I'll hit you back up with that later. Basically. Like... Basically. Okay.
1: Sometimes you just buy a bunch of steel and then you disappear under the ocean.
0: Yeah, I mean... You're bound by maritime law now. Like, they can't touch you.
1: Yeah. Uh, Celeste, who is Mark's Frenchwoman contact, uh, thinks that the bottles that Mark found were planted there on the beach. Okay. Um... Mark writes a note saying that he is having trouble opening the next level of the metal box puzzle, which is basically the metal box opened and then there was another puzzle box inside. Okay. Um, sheet. The metal music box appe-
0: being the piano thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, sheet music for the, the you know the sea shanty drunken sailor. Yeah. What do you do
0: with a drunken sailor? What? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so that appears in Mark's office. Uh, he also has a message on his answering machine of someone singing it. Uh, the players are like, oh, what if we try that on the piano? And they do. And okay. it opens.
0: Okay. Oh, drunken sailor, because it's a bunch of um, wine that washes up on the shore.
3: Okay. Yeah. That's
0: clever. That's clever that's clever it's a little too clever i wouldn't have got it's one of those things that when you hear about it you go oh okay but i never would have thought to do it
1: (laughs) um and so they do that and then they get another puzzle which is the next level of the metal box puzzle okay so they have solved a puzzle only to progress to a new puzzle
0: And this was inside of the jewelry box before, right? Yes. So it's a puzzle leading into a puzzle leading into a third puzzle.
1: Basically, they had to get the jewelry box, solve the jewelry box, solve the puzzle inside the jewelry box, and then they progressed to the second level of the original metal puzzle box. (laughs) Okay. Which is wild. (laughs) And... I guess next time we will talk about this next puzzle box.
0: (laughs) Pick up with the new puzzle boxes and what's inside? Yeah. Okay, so... I want to do a little bit of speculating here. Is what we're expected to think that... um, Maybe it's not speculating. Maybe I'm just stating the obvious plot. But do we think that what's happening is that... um, Lutwidge is like, well ryan isn't upholding his end of the bargain of this contract so i'm gonna rat him out by leaving a bunch of clues that can lead someone to realize that Rapture's real
1: i think that's a pretty good speculation
0: like so i'm gonna plant a bunch of wine on the beach that are like hey look look into the ocean this winery doesn't exist these posters point to something that don't exist maybe you should look in the water yeah (laughs) okay And so we're following. Okay. So we'll pick up as Mark is following Lutwidge's hidden ciphers and hidden puzzle boxes to figure out the secret behind the disappearances of 500,000 libertarians and also his daughter.
1: (laughs) Also, this website points out that in the recording after you open the jewelry box, uh, Lutwidge refers to himself as. In drunken ecstasy, which is a secret clue to the piano box.
0: Ah, in drunken ecstasy. Okay, because he's a drunken sailor. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Uh, do I guess we'll hold off on rating and reviewing and all that stuff until next time. But do we want to um, go ahead and give some recommendations before we call it a night?
1: Yeah, let's do it. I'm Cam. I'm Jory.
0: And we're the hosts of CWFP.
4: The Casual Wrestling Fan
0: Podcast, your weekly universe-friendly alternative for WWE wrestling recaps, discussion, and riffs from two friends who just love wrestling. And occasionally also New Japan, Impact, and All Elite Thoughts as well. If you're tired of Marks constantly booing a product they regularly support and pay for, you can find us hosted on the Orange Groves Network or through your preferred podcasting app. Wait, why won't The Undertaker stop booing the company? Alright, what are you recommending for us this week?
1: Uh, My recommendation for this week is to go see Midsummer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Barn, you've been talking and tweeting about this movie for months now.
1: I know. Um, I saw it this past weekend at our local, like, fancy art house theater. Uh, it's very good. I want to go see it again. If you are not a fan of gore, don't go see it. i um <laughs> But also the script is online. So if you want the experience of, like, knowing all of the cool stuff that's in it without having to see all of the gore on screen, go read the script. You I, I checked out the Wikipedia page,
0: but I will, I will definitely check out the script. That sounds really cool.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. Um, if you kind of Google around, you can find it. It's on like the Midsummer Reddit, I think. Um, okay. It's very good. I would recommend it even to people who don't like horror movies because there's no real like jump scares in it. Um, okay. A lot of the a lot of the gore is pretty telegraphed, so it's easy to know when to like shut your eyes and for a while. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, that makes sense. I I was talking with my brother the other day about this. I don't do body horror and stuff because I'm very yeah. Um, I'm very like like empathetic, I guess. Like I look at something and I think I wonder what that would feel like, and then my my ADD brain is like, we could devote a section to that. And like only play that out in your head. Um, and It's like, great, thanks, guys. I don't need to really think about what it would be like if my finger was broken. Like, thanks, please, please stop. Um, so I will pass on actually seeing it, but I will probably read the script that I've heard a lot of really good things about it.
1: It's really good. It's definitely a lot of a dark comedy I would say, like, it's very funny. It's funnier than I was expecting it to be, even having read the script. Um, okay. I also usually don't do well with gore, but I felt like reading the script helped me prepare a lot for what I was about to see. Um, <laughs> it's very, very it good. In Midsummer, I've
0: heard that Florence Pugh is really good in this. Oh my god, she's so good in it. Oh, Chidi's in this.
1: Yeah. Huh. Um, I really, I have opinions about horror movies, as people who listen to this podcast know. I really (laughs) like that Ari Aster does horror without jump scares, where he kind of never releases the tension of a moment in his movies, and he will kind of just force you to stay in that moment, and there's nothing that really relieves that tension. Um, I think he's very good at depicting these like very, raw expressions of like grief from his characters uh, if you've seen hereditary then you know um okay I, just yeah, like you live
0: here now like
1: yeah it's really good okay like, there's there's only one thing in that movie i would consider a jump scare but again there's no like the music doesn't suddenly get very loud there's no real attention drawn to it and like the
0: a cat doesn't I, jump out of the darkness yeah right.
1: Like, there's no loud noise. Um, I went to see it with my girlfriend and she didn't even notice that it had happened until we were talking about it after the movie.
0: Huh. Interesting. Um, how do you do a jump scare that half the people don't notice?
1: It's kind of like, so the main, it's towards the beginning of the movie, so I'm not really spoiling anything, but um, the main character uh goes into a dark room that has a mirror in it uh she lights like a lighter or a match or something and just for like a split second you see someone standing behind her in the mirror and then it vanishes like completely oh. huh. so like if okay but yeah but like the camera is framing the main character's face so if you're not looking at the background expecting to see something you won't see it
0: interesting that's really neat
1: And there's, yeah, and, and like, she doesn't see it, she doesn't turn around, like, there's no musical cue that tells you that something is there. It's
0: Um, a shock. So, like, uh, it's a a shock for the audience, not for the characters. That's interesting. Yeah,
1: and I think Ari Aster does that kind of thing really well. There's something similar in Hereditary that I won't say what it is because it's towards the end of the movie, and I don't want to spoil it, but it's kind of the same thing where he... He does a lot of stuff where he does like a very wide shot, and he lets you notice things before he hammers it home with like a more close-up shot, or the thing becoming more apparent. Or he sometimes okay. never hammers it in and just like leaves it to be something that you've only- you've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. Cool. I liked Midsummer a lot. Um, cool. I'm probably going to go see it again soon. I'm anxiously awaiting the, like, four-hour director's cut that apparently exists.
0: Jesus. How do you do a
1: four-hour
0: horror movie?
1: I mean, You have to really it's...
0: know what you're doing.
1: I mean, it's two hours and 30 minutes, I think, is the final cut. The script has a lot of bonus stuff in it that's not in the movie, so I think I have a pretty good idea of what they had to cut out for for like time reasons
0: okay because you've got the Um, the script
1: okay the script is also interesting i would say even if you have seen the movie you should read it because it translates all of the like untranslated swedish that's in the movie
0: huh okay
1: neat yeah go see midsummer or read the script
0: i won't but i i appreciate your recommendation
1: I also heard that Ari Aster wrote like a hundred page lore Bible for it that no one knows if it actually exists or not.
0: <laughs> it's just a notebook that says, like, My OCs don't steal.
1: <laughs> I read like an interview with one of the actors where they asked him about it and he was like, Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he just like buried it in Sweden somewhere.
0: That'll be our heist the heist to steal the lore Bible <laughs> from our story yeah. Bible. Sounds good. Hell yeah. All right. Um, my recommendation for this week, I went in an entirely different direction. Um, my recommendation is of a series of books. Uh, the first one came out a little bit ago. Uh, the, the second volume just came out, um, I think this week. It, it came out very recently. Um, but it is a, uh, a series of anthologies called Uncaged. Um, they are d and source books um, that are, I'll read directly from the website, um, an anthology of adventures that reinvent classic female mythological archetypes. Um, it says, Uncaged is a collection of myth and folklore themed adventures written for d and 5th edition. Each original adventure subverts tropes around female mythological creature or monsters, including hags, harpies, medusas, and much, much more. Um, so it is almost, it is either entirely or almost entirely written by femme writers. Um, and it is people that have taken these, a lot of monsters that are, um, in the monster manual and in mythology are kind of held back by sexist tropes that have existed about them or either misreadings or unfavorable readings of the actions and, um, like, actions and attitudes that they take in mythology. Um, As an example, one of the ones in, like, the cover art of the first one is the story of the Medusa, um, which in, like, its classic original Greek incarnation was, um, like, a woman that was so beautiful that the gods got jealous. One god in particular, I don't remember which one, um, but got jealous, and so... um, cursed her that anyone that looked at her with an impure eye would turn to stone. And so as a result, she grew snakes out of her head because in Greek mythology, if you're evil, you have to turn ugly, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the story here is like, how does a person deal with the fact that they have to like, that their gaze turns people to stone, even though it's not their fault. Um, it's a bunch of really interesting character hooks and plot hooks that look at monsters in ways that um, people don't usually give them the time of day for. Um, there's a really interesting reading about, um, I want to say it's merfolk and tritons in the first book that is um, basically about like, yeah, merfolk invade. Why would they invade? Well, humans are overfishing their areas. Um, so what happens if we actually look at like, the impact of adventurers and the human world on other races of people that often get written off as just, yeah. And then they're water people, whatever. Um, it's a really cool collection of independent writers that have made something really cool. Um, their second volume just came out. They've got two more volumes planned. Um, they're very good stories and really cool jumping places for anyone interested in D D or just, thinking about mythology in another way I'd highly recommend them
1: that's so cool I want to read those
0: yeah they're they're really neat I uh, I picked a digital copy up of the first one I still need to get the second one but I um, am still we just moved so I don't quite have money to spend on books right now um, and they're available in a physical copy that I really want to get because I love getting physical books just physical rpg books i'm it's a bad habit of mine um (laughs) i'm gonna break a bookshelf one of these days but um it's very good stuff i would definitely recommend checking them out
1: i'm gonna put those on my book wish list
0: i will send you a link
1: yeah nice
0: um yeah so that's that's my recommendation um you're gonna play DD, play it smartly. Play it <laughs> with intention.
1: Yeah, I would I would super be interested to read these and all of their different like takes on.
0: Yeah, I think the, the first like the the very first one in the first book is like let's look at a story like The Little Mermaid, but let's figure out a way to like give Ariel the power back in that story and to not make it a giving up your voice for a man, which the cartoon movie does kind of take on that way it's like how do we reinvent this to give her the power and agency in her own quest um it's just a bunch of really cool stuff that looks at um in addition to just telling uh, mostly female-centered stories um it's also a way of looking at it of just like how do we reinvent this trope how do we take something that is you know Anyone can go into a dungeon and fight a Medusa that tries to turn them to stone, and in the end, they slay it. What if we look at something deeper? It's a very cool
1: book. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to um, eventually read this. <laughs> I'm so behind on like books that I have to read.
0: Yeah, I have. I, I recently picked up um, Blades in the Dark and Monster of the Week, and I I need to get around to actually reading them and just actually getting into stuff. I just I don't have time right now. I miss being carefree.
1: Yeah, I have like a huge backlog of books that I've bought over the past year that I was like, this sounds interesting, and then <laughs> didn't read them. I
0: That's every book I've purchased in the past three <laughs> years. I miss actually reading things that are longer than a
1: tweet. I read, um, when I was on my road trip, I read the rest of I'll Be Gone in the Dark, but that's like the only book that I've read recently.
0: <laughs> Follow up on that. How was it?
1: oh it's so good
0: yeah cool
1: i heard that the audiobook is also really good so i would be interested um to listen to it at some point
0: (laughs) cool did the author read the audiobook or was it someone else
1: uh i am pretty sure it was someone else because the author is dead
0: well i didn't i (laughs) did the book come out posthumously yeah oh i thought it was released before she passed okay never mind
1: yeah, the whole last part of the book is um stuff that her investigative partners like put together from her notes and like
0: okay. I knew that the I think they got him, didn't they? Or they thought they that they did. Like They did. Not even a year after she passed. I don't remember the full details. I don't keep up with it too deeply, but I remember yeah, being they... really sad about that. They were like, "Oh, this book reignited interest and then they found him." What yeah, they know? found
1: him, and the two guys who worked on the book with her now have a podcast where they um, investigate other like unsolved cases. Because hmm. one of the them is actually unsolved
0: guys. <laughs> well,
1: I'm one of joking. them is like actually a detective. Um, oh wow! Yeah, it's cool. I I I need to listen to the podcast. I heard it's very good. Cool. Um. But I have a friend who listened to the audiobook instead of reading it and said that the audiobook was very good and very spooky, so <laughs> I need to listen to it. I, I,
0: I, I've I, thought about getting into audiobooks, but I'm afraid that they'd cut into my podcast time, and I, I can't <laughs> have that.
1: Yeah, that's that's fair.
0: <laughs> um,
1: I have a couple books I'm saving for like beach reading because I'm going to the beach at the beginning of August. And I know that's when I'm going to get all my reading done. <laughs> I've, been gotcha. thinking about, I've been thinking about trying to read The Stand this summer, because last year I read The Dark Tower while I was at the beach.
0: Gotcha. That's so a we'll real, see how it goes. That's a real doorstopper, isn't it? That thing's huge, right?
1: Yeah, it's like a thousand-some pages. Yeah. Wow. Well, good luck. But also, but also, it is a thousand-some pages, which is one of my favorite Stevie King books. So... <laughs>
0: wow i didn't realize it was that long oh
1: it's so long huh that's why it's pretty much impossible to make a good like film adaptation of it because they have to cut so much out
0: right yeah there's no way to adapt that many pages into like two hours yeah okay we should probably wrap this thing up
1: (laughs) yeah probably all
0: right um if you all want to get a hold of us, you can find us on Twitter at Argonauts Pod. That'll be both of us together. Uh, you can also find me at A.C. Sherman Writes.
1: And you can find me at Corpse Revivers on Twitter.
0: And if you've got any questions, comments, anything like that, feel free to send them our way uh, through email. Uh, you can find us at ArgonautsPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and you can also check out our Patreon. Uh, that's P-U-H-T-R-A-Y-I-N.com. Uh, or yep. patreon.com slash Pod if you don't want to make the same mistakes I do.
1: <laughs> and uh, we will be doing a live stream at some point now, I guess. Yeah,
0: I, we will be We look forward to getting info about that. Uh, we will set up a way for patrons to send in questions pretty soon. Uh, this just happened. So we will figure out how to do it and get info to you all.
1: Yeah. So look for that probably on Twitter.
0: With that, I guess we should just say goodnight, everyone.
1: Caitlin. And I'm Joe. Sugar We're Going
4: Down Podcasting is exactly what it sounds like.
1: Each week, we get a random Fall Out Boy song and discuss it in various ways, such as... What are its merits musically? Is it a bop? Does it have chugs? It's lyrical complexity.
4: Sometimes Pete writes a triple
1: entendre, and sometimes he doesn't even finish the first entendre. Does the video make any goddamn sense, though? Usually, no. How gay does it make us feel? Usually a lot of gay. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your personal podcatcher of choice and get a new episode every Wednesday until it kills us. Caitlin, is this more than you bargained for yet? Honestly, it already is.